Good morning. It is the fifth Sunday of Easter. We're halfway through the season of Easter. I've often thought that because Easter, like Christmas, seems to come and go so quickly in the community, but in the church, the season of Christmas and Easter lasts longer. I've always thought with Easter we should begin every Sunday morning worship service during Easter with the words that we begin Easter Sunday morning with. He is risen, he is risen indeed. We can't do it today, not together anyway, but here we go. He is risen, he is risen indeed. Let's begin with the reading for this week. It's from John chapter 14. It follows uh, on for the other John readings we have during the Easter season. And this is Jesus talking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, There you may also be, and you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Trust me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then trust me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who trusts in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. For the word of God in scriptures, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. And I want to start this morning with three quotes. One is from the 4th century theologian Augustine, who was one of the great and most influential of the early church leaders and teachers uh, on the rest of the church, particularly in the West. This is the quote. If you comprehend it, it is not God. If you comprehend it, It is not God. 
The second one is from Meister Eckhart, a 14th century German theologian and mystic who said, I pray God to rid me of God. I pray God to rid me of God. And then the final one is from C.S. Lewis, a 20th century lay theologian and writer. He says, everything we say about God is a lie. Everything we say about God is a lie. Try and keep those three extraordinary quotes in mind as we follow through with the reading for this week. In Hebrew culture, in Jesus' time and much earlier, the Hebrew people didn't use any names for God. Uh, the, 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 name for God, the names for God that they had, and there were a number of them, they were so precious and speaking of something so extraordinary that they were only allowed to be spoken in the very holiest places like the temple. To use names for God was to pretend or to get the sense that we understood something more than we did. They made a sense that if we can name something, we know it. And for the Hebrew people, that was just not true. It couldn't, God couldn't be known, as our three quotes uh, uh, tell us. God can't be known. God must be experienced. So they only used when they spoke of God they used the word Hashem which means the name and these are good preparation thoughts for looking at this week's reading so we'll try and keep all of that in mind at the heart of this text is the desire Philip has to see God Lord show us the Father and we will be satisfied and isn't this the desire of so many people so many of us if God could just be known plain as day then all things would become clear but actually it's a very strange request for Philip to make because as a good Jew he knew that no one can see God and live that's a quote from Exodus that he would have known very well Moses in that period longed to see God he needed certainty to do what he had to do to lead the people. He was in an extraordinary situation where he was bringing the people out of captivity in Egypt just on the word of God. So if anyone needed certainty, needed to be able to see God and know for sure, it would be Moses. But it wasn't possible. It's not possible to see God. It's not, it's an, the, what we mean by the word God is unknowable. So what is Jesus' response to Philip, asking this understandable question in one level, but not understandable for a good Jew to ask? Jesus' response to Philip is, all this time, Philip, and still you can't see, if you have seen me. Now remember, in John's Gospel, to see is to know in the deepest way, all the way through John's Gospel, the word see goes to this deep understanding this what what we've often called the aha moment the sense of, of of a deep insight that is difficult to put into words but is nonetheless real it's a moment of deep insight it's that seeing that knowing that is at the heart of uh, of all of John's gospel and is in the heart of this part of the text it's as if Jesus is saying to Philip if you have deeply experienced my relationship with you, our relationship together, 
then you have deeply experienced God. Jesus said he's going to the Father's house. Now all good Jews know that God lives with God's people. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the Psalms say. God's dwelling place is with the people, the Psalms also say. In fact, the Jews had, uh, at the time of Jesus and uh, prior, uh, a, a physical representation of that God dwelling with people understanding. They had the Holy of Holies, which was the temple, inside the temple, inside the temple. It was the holy place that only the high priest could go once a year, and then only once a year, and that is where God was represented as dwelling. God dwelt in the midst of the people. So where's the Father's house? Well, it's, it's everywhere. That's where God dwells, is everywhere. That's what a good Jew would understand. And it's the Father's house. So <clears throat> remember that the Father is the representation in Jewish culture of the best of all possible worlds. Now, not all fathers were the best of all possible fathers, of course. But it's the idea that, that the Father was the uh, the covering uh, the law, uh, the um, the culture, the uh, support, the encouragement, the everything in a in the small community of the family, um, the immediate family and the and, and the extended family of sons and their wives and uh, and their children, uh, and in the best of all possible worlds, um, there would be this fathering. And it was the way that the, 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 the ancient Jews, it's the best world that they could imagine. So the, the everywhere is the best of all possible worlds. So where's, where is the Father's house where Jesus is going? In a sense, everywhere. I, go, I wrote this in, the, um, <clears throat> in last week's issue of the Clayton, if you happen to be one of those re, uh, listeners who receives this in our congregation in Jesus culture there was no higher authority no more deeper responsibility no more culturally important role than that of the father the role of the father represented the totality of the true and right way of being in the world well what is the way to the father's house if we don't know where you're going Thomas asked how can we possibly know the way well, what is the way to the Father's house? Well, it, it, Jesus is saying the, the way to the Father's house is through wholeness and goodness. And we'll get back to that in a second. See, what is God like? Show us the Father and then we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says, well, look at me. You've been with me. You see me. What God is like is what Jesus is like. Jesus is what God is like. And there's this sense too um, in ancient culture that we, we've lost a, a lot and that's the idea that when a father sends a son uh, he not he doesn't just sort of represent the father or when a king sends a prince doesn't just represent the king it's, it's a sense that, that the full presence and authority of that king or that father is present in the moment in the son. He speaks for, he acts for, he thinks for. He, in all sense, uh, senses of the term, he is the Father present in that moment. 
Uh, and there's a, a number of para, uh, parables that Jesus tells that, that work on this principle that the Son and the Father are of one mind and of one heart, of one responsibility and one authority. So what is God like? Jesus is what God is like. If you know me, you will know my Father, Jesus says. If you have seen me, you have seen my Father. But I think Jesus is broader than this too He's, because in other parts of the Gospel, when Jesus is with other people, he gives that sense that, that if the disciples were truly able to see the people who were coming, the poor, the dispossessed, uh, children, women, uh, people who were sick, people who were demon-possessed, uh, those people, the way Jesus sees them as, as having God present with them. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen these little children, if you've seen them truly in the John sense, if you've experienced them, if you've seen them deeply, you've seen the Father. In fact, if you have seen each other, you disciples, if you have seen each other truly and deeply, you have seen God present and at work. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Another way of saying it might be, if you see my life in truth you see God if you perceive what our experience has been together in these years as I've been the teacher and you've been the disciples if you deeply perceive that you will see God you will know God in that sense I am the way it's not an exclusive we'll get that, that to that little in a little bit too if you've seen if you're seeing me really seeing me in this way then i become the way and not way necessarily as road but also way as the way things are done the method or the experience another way we could write this is i am the experience of god the reality of God truth and the existence of God life I am the experience of God the reality of God and the existence of God see it in me see it in everyone I am the way now Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me and this has been used by Christians sometimes to to make an exclusive understanding of faith that if you don't follow Jesus in exactly the way we do in our church then you don't belong because Jesus said I am the way, the truth and life no one comes to the Father except through me but if we understand in this more expansive way when he says I am the experience of God the reality of God, the existence of God and he's saying that in a broader sense that these little children, this woman caught in adultery, this man who is blind, these people also are an experience of God, the reality of God, the existence of God. I am the way, all of us are the way, the truth and the life. And if you can't see me, Jesus is saying, if you can't see me as deeply connected to God, then there is no other way for you to be connected to God unless you see it in another deeply in a deep way in another human being 
there's no set of rules there's no um, there's no formula there's no creed there's no moral precepts that you can keep none of those things will connect you deeply in experientially to God beyond seeing God present and at work in the life of another I am the way I am the truth I am the life this is picked up again uh, in the first epistle of John now these three, there are three epistles of John and uh, originally they were thought to be written by the same author as the Gospel of John uh, and, and very there are no scholars who believe that this John is the same as John the disciple in the in the Gospels uh, but, but a later John because, uh, because the Gospel of John and the epistles were written uh, quite a lot later the latest writings in, in, that we have in uh, among the latest writings we have in the um, in the New Testament and it may be that the first uh, second and third epistles of John were written by the same author as the gospel that's still um, held by many scholars uh, but uh, scholars who don't accept that do accept that they are written within the same school or the same culture or the same community and in the first epistle of John we hear this my dear dear friends if God loved us like this we certainly ought to love each other and that's of course in keeping with the gospel uh, of John all the way through where Jesus gives a new commandment which which turns up in next week's uh, text uh, that we should love one another as God loves us if God loved us like this we should certainly ought to love each other then it goes on no one has ever seen God ever but if we love one another God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us perfect love no one has ever seen God ever but if we love one another God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us perfect love this is the sense of the call of God into a deep seeing of who Jesus is, who God is, and in an extraordinary way, who each other is. God dwells deeply within you. God dwells deeply within my next door neighbour, within the person who drives the bus, within the, per the person who serves me in the supermarket. God dwells deeply within us. It's so it's such a an extraordinary, shocking idea and it's so different to this idea that God dwells within the people in a special temple where you must go and visit, which may be true and, and, and is deep and is important to the Jewish people. But this is a much more intimate, much more closely uh, engaged experience. God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us his love becomes complete in you I know it doesn't feel like that and I know more about how I screw up how I um, misinterpret how I treat people I know more about that than anyone because I know myself deeply and you know that about yourself but these words are true God's love dwells deeply within us and is perfected and made perfect in us. 
Now, I haven't said anything about the last verses in this uh, in this epistle. Uh, sorry, in in this gospel, um, with where Jesus says, "If you ask anything in my name," and that just that's a very strange set of, of verses and needs a whole other. Uh, conversation. So this week, and, and I know this is going to sound um, like I'm selling something, but I'm going to do a bonus episode. Um, I'm going to um, do an episode so that you don't have to deal with it if you don't want to, but going to try and sort of look at those last few verses because they really deserve um, some unpacking and we, we need to try and deal with them And when we tend to sort of skip over them. But for now, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us perfect love. Amen. Amen.